0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on anaphylaxis. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Anaphylaxis is a life-threatening condition. If not treated quickly, can result in respiratory and then cardiac arrest. However, the condition is treatable and immediate action will result in fast resolution of symptoms. So how should we diagnose and treat anaphylaxis? To tell us, we have on the line Dr. Adriana Andrei, who is Assistant Professor in Paediatric Allergy and Immunology at Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center, Pennsylvania. And importantly, Adriana, is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So, Adriana, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you to tell us what exactly is anaphylaxis.
0: Thank you very much. So, anaphylaxis is an acute, a potentially life-threatening, multi-system disorder or syndrome that is caused when mass cell mediators are suddenly released into the systemic circulation. And a sentence that is short, easy to remember and used in most of the practice parameters is that anaphylaxis is defined as a serious allergic or hypersensitivity reaction that is rapid in onset and may cause death.
1: Okay, thank you, that, that's very clear. And how do you make the diagnosis?
0: So the diagnosis, Um, of anaphylaxis is a clinical diagnosis. And there are three different criteria. Anaphylaxis is very likely when one of the following three criteria is fulfilled. So criteria number one is really an acute onset of an illness that involves the skin, the mucosal tissue, or both. And at least one of the following criteria, one is either respiratory compromise like wheezing or stridor or coughing or a reduced blood pressure and associated symptoms of the reduced blood pressure. So that is criterion number one, and that is the one that is most commonly used. Criterion number two is two or more of the following signs or symptoms that occur after a patient has been exposed to a likely allergen. So one would be involvement of the mucosal tissue. Two would be respiratory compromise. Three would be a reduced blood pressure. And four would be persistent GI symptoms. And criterion number three goes into exposure to a known allergen. So if a peanut allergic patient eats a peanut and then has reduced blood pressure, we know this patient is peanut allergic. Just alone reduced blood pressure is enough for criterion three to be fulfilled. So it's a known allergen and then it leads to hypotension.
1: Okay, thank you. That's very, very helpful. Are there any lab tests that can help us?
0: So lab testing is not the number one diagnostic criteria for anaphylaxis. However, lab testing can be used in certain situations, So while anaphylaxis is a clinical diagnosis and treatment can't be informed on lab testing, it might be helpful in certain situations when, for example, the symptoms are not very clear or in hindsight, um, you want to question. We always say number one is treat for anaphylaxis. But if there is time, a serum or a plasma total tryptase could be sent There are potentially future tests. The important goal is to make a test that is rapid, sensitive, and specific for anaphylaxis, but that is way out in the future at this point.
1: Okay, thank you. And in terms of clinical assessment and diagnosis, I wonder what are the guidelines most recently stressing?
0: Because it's a clinical diagnosis, very common symptoms and signs are, involvement of the skin and mucosal membranes, which would include generalized hives, itching or flushing, swollen lips, swollen tongue. Some patients have periorbital edema or swelling of the conjunctiva. Sometimes these symptoms may have resolved when the patient reaches medical care and sometimes the patient is overwhelmed by other symptoms that they might not even recognize that the skin symptoms have taken place. Respiratory symptoms are the most important to pay attention to. And every involvement of the respiratory system, coughing, throat closing, strider, wheezing, would make anaphylaxis a more likely diagnosis. Some patients just present with GI symptoms. A little less than half of the patients have GI symptoms. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or abdominal pain might be um, GI symptoms that a patient presents with. And then, of course, cardiovascular collapse, including hypotension, but other signs of end-organ, end-organ um. Effects of low blood pressure, for example, incontinence, dizziness, tachycardia, all point to anaphylaxis. Of course, death is the most feared complication of anaphylaxis, and that usually results from airway compromise or cardiovascular problems.
1: Last question on diagnosis. What would you say are the common pitfalls in making the diagnosis?
0: It's not easily recognized clinically, especially if a patient doesn't have any known allergens. Sometimes parents that have children with food allergies, when they see anaphylaxis once, they say, okay, now at least I know how it is. And we tell them this is not necessarily going to be the same Presentation because it depends on many different factors. It depends on the amount of the allergen that the patient was exposed to. It depends on the general state of health of that patient at that moment. It depends on if the patient exercised around the time they were exposed to the allergen. And it um, depends on the potency of that allergen that leads to anaphylaxis being an underreported entity. Hypotension might not be noted early on, especially um, if epinephrine was administered or adrenaline, same medication, or when the blood pressure is obtained with a cuff that's too small. Blood pressure might also be misread if not no age-appropriate standards were used for children or for infants, patients might find themselves in situations where there are a lot of dramatic physiologic events like childbirth or surgery, and anaphylaxis might be overlooked. Very importantly, patients with asthma who are at a higher risk for severe and potentially fatal anaphylaxis Early anaphylaxis might be mistaken for an asthma exacerbation in that patient. Patients who never had a diagnosis of anaphylaxis or who have never experienced an anaphylactic episode might not recognize the symptoms as such and might not seek care or seek care for other symptoms.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's that's very helpful. Let's move on to management. Tell us about the mainstay of of management.
0: The mainstay of management in anaphylaxis is avoidance of the triggers. Anaphylaxis is usually brought on by exposure to an allergen, IgE-mediated allergy, and that can be food, that can be medications, that can be stinging insects. So avoidance if known of the triggers, is the most important factor. Anaphylaxis can also be brought on by exercise alone or exercise in conjunction with food ingestion that without exercise would not lead to an anaphylactic episode. So knowledge of that and avoidance of those is the most important. And the next important point is recognition, of the signs and symptoms, and then quick treatment with epinephrine. So, epinephrine early on and in sufficient doses is the most important to prevent biphasic anaphylaxis, to prevent other sequelae of anaphylaxis, and to treat and to prevent death. Okay, thank
1: you. What specifically, what's the dose and best route of administration of uh, adrenaline?
0: So adrenaline is used as, we say, about 0.01 milligram per kilogram. It would be a maximum of 0.3 milligram in children.
1: And the dose in adults is 0.5 milligrams.
0: This dose is given intramuscularly in the anterolateral thigh, there are additional medications that are used and have been used for anaphylaxis, antihistamines and steroids. However, while they have a place in helping modify the accompanying symptoms of, for example, hives, treatment with adrenaline should not be delayed, but should be the first modality then another treatment, for example, antihistamines and steroids can be given if deemed necessary.
1: Okay, thank you. Uh, That's helpful. And you also mentioned a biphasic reaction. Tell us about that and how can that be prevented? Mm -hmm.
0: So about 20% of patients might experience biphasic reactions that usually could occur within 12 hours or after 12 hours, but they may occur as long as seventy two hours later and again these by bi- this biphasic reaction can have potentially life-threatening symptoms so it could be that the patient even though they were treated discharged home, they might have a biphasic reaction that again is life-threatening patients that have severe anaphylaxis, patients that required multiple doses of epinephrine or patients in whom treatment with epinephrine or adrenaline was delayed are at a higher risk. So that's why patients are usually monitored for a prolonged time in the emergency room, often for four to eight hours. However, patients are discharged with an adrenaline or epinephrine auto-injector after having experienced their first anaphylactic reaction and are trained in usage and are urged to carry this adrenaline auto injector.
1: Let's move on to pitfalls in in management. Um, What are the main pitfalls in management?
0: The biggest pitfall in management is a delay in administration of epinephrine, adrenaline. Because I am a pediatric allergist, I am seeing mainly children and adolescents and fear of treatment out in the field by the family of these signs and symptoms that they should recognize as signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis is very important. So if if we don't want the family to fear that they could potentially harm the child by injecting the adrenaline and therefore delay it and wait until they reach medical care, it is very important for the allergist, but also for the general practitioner to educate patients on recognizing signs and symptoms of an anaphylaxis and training them on how to use the adrenaline epinephrine auto injector. I tell my patients that if they are in doubt and they think about using adrenaline, they should use it because the reason why we ask them to come. Seek medical care after they use this is not to monitor for the side effects of adrenaline or epinephrine. It is because their symptoms, their anaphylaxis, was severe enough to prompt treatment, and we want them to be monitored for the side effects or for the effects of the anaphylaxis and not of the medication. Say
1: if somebody has is is diagnosed with an anaphylactic reaction, but they're not too sure what the but the cause of it was they might have eaten a number of different things. Are there any tests you can do to find out what caused it what what advice should you give then?
0: In the emergency room usually no allergy or consult is called but when the patient first sees a physician for their anaphylaxis, it is usually an acute setting and the most important Factor There is to equip the patient with the needed treatment, but then refer them to a specialist because causes for anaphylaxis are usually IgE dependent immunologic mechanisms, for example, food allergies and insect sting allergies and medications for food allergies, we have three different diagnostic modalities. One would be the skin testing to the suspected food, IgE testing, blood testing, to detect possible allergic antibodies, and three is a challenge. At the specialist's office, the patient might be exposed again to the presumptive allergen to make a good diagnosis. That being said, when the patient is seen for the anaphylactic episode, history of the events in the hours leading up to that anaphylactic reaction is very important. And to ask the family, what did they do? What did they eat? What were they exposed to? We are very grateful when patients bring us packaged foods that they were exposed to so we can look at the ingredient lists and do a little bit of detective work if there was anything that could have triggered this this episode. Then, of course, there is idiopathic anaphylaxis. That is a diagnosis of exclusion. We always have to consider the possibility of a hidden or unrecognized trigger. And we have to consider the possibility of a mast cell activation syndrome or systemic mastocytosis that might present like idiopathic anaphylaxis. But there are instances when Where we are not able to diagnose a trigger for the anaphylactic event and it might happen again. Those are situations that are very unfortunate, but there are patients who present with anaphylaxis without a known trigger. Okay,
1: Um, thank you. That's helpful. Is there anything else that we've missed, do you think? Are there any other common questions that you're asked about this condition that we haven't covered so far.
0: So what I am often asked is, is the next anaphylactic reaction more severe than the preceding one? There is a thought that every consecutive anaphylactic reaction will get worse than the next. However, this is not the case. Usually, every anaphylactic reaction is unique and can be the same, more severe or less severe than a preceding one, it can present a little differently. And as I said, it depends on many different factors, on the potency of the allergen, of the amount of the allergen that the patient was exposed to, and um, the general state of health of the patient at that moment and concomitant alcohol use, for example, or exercise at the same time.
1: Thank you very much, Adriana. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.